National Association of Sessional GPs podcast, The Art of GP Locuming. And today I'm very delighted to be talking to Eva Kalmus. Hello, Eva. How are you? Hello, Richard. Uh, I'm very well, thank you. And I am, I think I'm probably one of those GPs who falls into the portfolio career category. I have locumed in the past and very long time been a member of the NAS GP. Yeah, and in fact, we indeed, we've met over the years quite a long time ago now. I mean, because the NESGP's been going for 22 years now, and um, we've met at conferences in the past, but always a long time ago. It is quite a long time ago now, yes. I did, I, I was really interested and, and felt very much supported um, by having the NASGP back when I was doing locums That's many fine. years Fabulous. And, 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 and wonderfully, you got in contact with us a few months ago um, and you wanted to talk about your really positive experience, your, your journey you've been on really over the last, um, 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 well, it's, it's over a decade you've been on this journey. And I think you've, you, you were so, you're so excited you want to tell everybody else about it. So you've written a lovely um, article for us, which was in our latest magazine and, and that article now goes out as well with this um, podcast this article is, is is called I'm a Jerry GP so what is a Jerry GP well actually it's a it's a very interesting it's a journey and I think maybe when you set out on some journeys you have a destination this one very clearly didn't have one um, it's been a, a meandering sort of journey and getting to being a, a, a Jerry GP um, has been a long journey and the article I wrote sort of talks about quite a few of the stages but not all of them along the way. Probably one of the key points where the, the name came from was almost 18 months ago when I was at a British Geriatric Society Autumn Conference which is their biggest event of the year um, and the first presentation was by a community geriatrician who was then president of the BGS. And she was talking about all the moves towards care of older people happening much more in the community. And I think I listened to that talk and I thought, yeah, that's right. Actually, older people, most of them, luckily, don't live in hospitals vast majority and the vast majority don't spend much of their lives there and they're looked after by GPs and that's what I'd already been doing that was why I was at the VGS conference at the time that's what I'd been doing for many years before that at the end of that I went up to talk to the speaker and a little queue of people formed and standing next to me was another GP who'd been doing in her case care of care home medicine for a long time very much a GP we asked some questions we got talking to each other and by lunchtime we sat down with a group of 10 other GPs who are wow. at the conference and they're all saying yeah we're doing these interesting things we're all a little bit doing it on our own and feeling our way what about a bit of mutual professional support now I'd been already looking for that for a while in various ways and so it really fell into place for me and over lunch we cooked up the title of Jerry GP it was meant to be a working a sort of work in progress but it seems to have stuck not necessarily that it sounds very elegant but it sort of stuck and I think what it is is for example the British Geriatric Society surveyed their members some years ago about do they want to keep the name geriatric because it feels like a slightly outdated term hmm. but interestingly the membership came back and said, well, we'll hold on to that, thank you. There are all sorts of alternatives. Um, 
care of the elderly, et cetera, et cetera, and everybody has their own. Um, and I guess we fundamentally, this little group of us, which has since grown to around 100, um, are GPs and very much stay at heart being GPs with our training and most of our working lives being spent or having been spent in primary care. But doing more looking after older people who present with complexity and multimorbidity and frailty and dementia and some combination of those. And I think the reason why we felt we needed to support each other is that some of these roles tend to grow and become quite big. There's a lot of it and it, it sits within general practice, but also begins to edge outside it to a greater or lesser extent for all of us um, into other areas. And so we, we're sort of sitting at that interface and that's what why the group formed. It's really for mutual professional support. Um, we're at still quite an early stage of forming, but we felt that there are, you know, we all know other people who are doing things a little bit like this in various settings and people we've talked to have been very positive about it. So it's kind of grown from there. Um, so Jerry GP is that sort of, it's a kind of hybrid, I guess, but it's actually also something very positive for most of us because I think most of us are doing this as a positive choice, not a way of avoiding other things. Yeah, and a good a good name sticks and it obviously stuck right from that, that very first moment when the 10 of you were all sitting around ha- having lunch together and to have grown to, to 100 and to have made that immediate connection just shows, I guess, the sort of the passion that you all, all shared for this. Now, you just mentioned the word interface it's a very bland word i've heard it lots of times before but i've actually noticed it cropping up in the last two or three times at my ccg in various meetings and conversations and i suddenly realized actually people are actually talking about it as a thing and, and actually now i'm too embarrassed to ask them hold on a minute what does this interface medicine mean what are you talking about what is interface it's it's a, it's a sort of almost a non-word but actually it's a real thing so how do you how do you define just interface medicine GPs now. It's, it's become a term. Well, what is it? Okay, so I think it is. I think you are right. I think there are many versions of it actually, and that's probably why not asking is very understandable. Because <laughs> actually, I think there are different ways of understanding it in different <clears throat> settings. And when you, you know, having now this Jerry GP group, you realise how differently things are evolving in different parts of the country because you know we are national um and it is quite different now interface my my job title became interface medicine gp again a little bit of an accident really because i found myself working on that at that time in secondary care but working with an older people's advisory and liaison service whose role was and these are the things that you will hear so often at all levels of meetings, avoiding unnecessary or inappropriate admissions, expediting discharge from hospital for people who no longer need to be there, all of these sort of things. And I guess interface in that context is being used between primary and secondary care. Mm. Um, It isn't the only use, but I think for the most of the Jerry GPs, it probably is quite a good place. It's about, you know, it's quite a good sense of there are these two locations and it's the same patient that can sit in one or the other 
and the gap in between is quite an uneasy one sometimes so you know we all have experience at different level stages of our careers where um, you know that you're trying to get a patient admitted and, and you know as a GP it's just not right where they are and really you've reached the end of the options there it would be nice probably if there were some other options so you ring up somebody who's a lot less experienced than you in medicine and you've got to sell the patient to them and eventually it's a great sigh of relief you send them in although you still have this feeling is this really right or was there something else and I think it's out there is there something else that quite a lot of the Jerry GPs are actually working. Was there an alternative? Um, and at the other end, which was the bit I was working on for the last 18 months in my just previous job, I was looking at the discharge end, the end where patients particularly, and I think that defined a lot of them, had moderate to severe frailty. Hospital is not only not benefiting them, it's actually probably actively harming them, not intentionally, I hasten to add, um, but deconditioning, institutionalization, all of those things. And as an interface doctor, knowing that out there things also aren't great and resources are very limited, but they might be a bit better off because as a GP, you've seen people at home visited people at home and you thought how on earth do they manage but they do yeah. or seen them in their care home where the care staff in the best circumstances really genuinely care for them as an individual and best will in the world hospitals can't offer that in the same way that's not what they were designed for and they can't do it so the interface is sort of sitting is a bridge in a way that sits between as I say particularly for Jerry GPs probably sits pro predominantly between primary and secondary care there are other interfaces for GPs as we all know um, and a lot of the work I do as a Jerry GP is as part of a multidisciplinary team and again that word has a lot of meanings but it is very much about having at least enough of an understanding of the role of social services therapists nurses rehabilitation settings etc that although i can't do all of those jobs definitely can't do those jobs myself i know what the right disposition is for this patient or at least the best one is in the circumstances and i guess that's is that thing about knowing what's there, having feeling comfortable about it, knowing who to phone up, or you know who you're dealing with and talking comfortably with them. One little aside to that is the other understanding I have of interface, which is when I used to describe my job on a not so good day, was like having your foot on two uh, bits of floating ice in the sea, and every so often the two bits of ice would, you know, your little ice floes would just separate, and you'd have one foot on each, and not quite know that you were very stable in that situation. But that was on a bad day. On a good day, you can explain in secondary care what GPs can and can't do, what's realistic to ask. Uh, and what's unrealistic equally you can say but what can be done there and you hopefully know about what's available and resources and you can look at collectively coming up with a what's best what does that patient want what matters to that patient most and sometimes it isn't the secondary care offer anymore particularly at later stages of frailty and all of what you've just said has now made me a huge fan of this this interface medicine GP uh, term. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I'm thinking here in my mind's eye. I've got a picture of, of a Venn diagram. I've got GP yeah. in one circle. I've got geri geriatrics 
uh, in another circle and the, the way they interface and you also mentioned you mentioned the word gap and actually coincidentally today in the other room Sarah and Nick from NESGP are literally going going live we've actually got a new tool going live um, on on our practice platform called gains which is gap analysis information notification system yeah um, but this word gap so so what 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 this what this um interface medicine gp is is you're you're the third you're actually you're not you're not just a place where these two circles intersect you are now in your own circle and it's, it's in these gaps that's where problems arise within systems that's where patients fall between gaps and you've 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 mentioned all this these in your article about you know in in, in the elderly where these these greater degrees of frailty the need for um, advanced care planning and continuity and the complex issues and those are really big things and 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 a large part of what what you're saying about as, inter, in, as an interface medicine GP is you're planning, you actually go in there before the patient actually becomes so unwell that they then have to go into the acute system where they're not likely to do necessarily that well, where pr- other problems can arise and the rehabilitation afterwards can take so long and can be so so fraught and, and, and open to complications. So having you guys there as that third circle that bridges, as you said, the um, the, those those two parts but but it, it being a thing it being something that normally like so many things we have in our periphery for so long um we're specialists in one thing but these things happen in our periphery and they've been happening in the geriatrician's periphery but actually by focusing on them and defining them um, um and, and that's what you have been doing and your colleagues these jerry gps of you know what a huge what, what are such an important area and 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 with 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 a uh, increasing elderly population and everything, a, a, a huge importance, and of course saving money for the NHS and better quality of care, all of that going in, and and this is I suspect why you're so excited about about the role you've got because you've this it's all of a sudden, I guess oh there's this whole branch of, of of care and 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 medicine and that relates so beautifully to being a GP and so beautifully to your your experiences as having spent a lot of time as a, as a geriatric SHO in your tra- in your training years um, mm. and it just all fits so nicely. Mm. I mean, I I would agree with it. It is exciting, and I think it's it, it's you know it is some of it is somebody said it one of our recent meetings, some of it's good old fashioned general practice. It's about the thing that, you know, is so hard to do as a GP nowadays is have enough time and and follow through some of the conversations and pick up on the, the soft information. Um, I mean, we've got um, a work stream around information technology and one of the, the whiz kid younger Jerry GPs is quite rightly very passionate about, you know, we need to exchange information in the interests of this individual patient, not for any other reason, but we need to be able to share things. Because sometimes the patients we're dealing with can no longer give a coherent account of their own story. They can give bits of it, but it doesn't always fit together. And that is a bit of it. But I think some of what we are, you know, some of what we're doing and when we talk to you know, when I talk to my fellow Jerry GPs and, and we have got incredibly varied jobs because of the local setup but there is um an overlap in the sense of you know we 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 bring something that is very much based on our gp training um 
you know, it, it, it really makes you think when you realize, yes, all those years spent working on communication skills and how do you do things. And, and then you go into secondary care and you think, whoa, this is not quite in line with. It's not better or worse. It's an inevitability of the system that people work in. But you just want to go back to some of the, the core values of being a GP, but also bring with it. Um, I guess the thing that a lot of us think we have as extra is that sometimes our time isn't quite so structured as traditional primary care has become a 10 minute appointment for somebody with multiple long-term conditions or needing a detailed medication review or whatever is really not long enough and key to all of that is we can't do it on our own it's not a you know it's, it's not isolated working all of us that I've spoken to are working within teams the difficulty and the reason for the the Jerry GP group is often we don't have fellow GPs in that group we have other professionals and people working for different organizations, which is you know, exciting and can be very creative, but we're often missing a bit of peer support. And I think that's that's where the group came from. But it is exciting stuff. I, I just moved jobs recently, um, again, despite being post sort of having reti- retired, and I say that in inverted commas, I've just moved jobs. And the things they're talking about where I am now are really, you know, very exciting opportunities for the future, as well as posing a huge threat to people because of change and demand and our increasing, certainly older and frailer population. It does present enormous challenges. We do need to come up with slightly different ways of doing it. I just think this is a little piece in the in the puzzle, um, which adds something and and is also incredibly satisfying. It sounds it, and 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 bringing that satisfaction sort of full circle. You you also you just mentioned there talking about the the time and the ten minute appointment, and what you say in your article really interestingly is that actually you've as as the GP in 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 this setting. Um, that you you are often given the patients or assigned the patients who are with difficult dif- the difficult patients or difficult families and you've put what, what you've put in here is is that, that the I guess the, the secret the pixie dust that you bring along is you've got more time um, I guess to listen um, and and also interesting you bring it you bring a folding chair around with you why, why is that <laughs> so um, in my in my last role where I was I was very fortunate in many ways I was working for an acute trust and and given a certain quite a bit of leeway to see where it would develop and one of the areas I developed quite quite an interest in was working closely with the palliative care team and this was particularly for people experiencing frailty so not the ones who would normally require specialist palliative care but ones where nobody was recognizing that it wasn't one condition that was bringing someone to the end of their lives but just the kind of things coming together and you know for a long time we've understood that palliative care takes time and I did have the luxury of having time with people like patients like that and families and it's bringing people on board um, that often it's the families who um, will really you know, they, they've been looking after somebody because the journey of late late life, late severe frailty is one of not sudden decline, but gradual decline. And they often don't recognize when, and there isn't a point of recognition where someone is beginning to reach a point where 
treating them is not benefiting them in terms of length of life even and mm. quality of life. It's doing other things. Having those conversations is hard and people understandably get angry or frustrated. Being in an acute hospital, being angry and frustrated is really bad news because there's noise, there's stuff going on, there are other people creating around you. There's all the busyness and the, you know, yeah, we all know. Mm. <laughs> We've all in the past and one of the things I found was that I felt very uncomfortable standing over particularly patients but also relatives you know you'd have a group of two or three people visiting somebody who was in bed and I'd turn up there and I would stand over them all and from my years as a GP that always felt very uncomfortable and so I um, outside of work I'm getting a little bit older and I, when I go walking I take one of those I think they call them shooting sticks. Oh, yes. But, you know, I'm going to take that into work, partly because I stand a lot at work anyway, but also because actually it puts me on a level with people and that feels much more comfortable. And I have found that when there is something going on that's quite difficult, sometimes you can take you could take the relatives away from the patient, sit them somewhere else, but there isn't privacy and we just have to accept that's the way it is. And I'll sit down, bring my chair along, sit down with everybody around the bed or wherever they are. And we have a conversation rather than a me telling. And it feels so much better, I have to say, because when people have a chance to express all the things that as GPs we hear all the time, anger, frustration, guilt, all of that, and that's voiced and acknowledged. And then you can sometimes move on. And so that was how my sort of role of, oh, was really difficult. I'm not claiming to have anything magic to bring to that. But I was fortunate that I would have lots of other people to see, but not a fixed timetable. I did make, obviously, appointments when relatives were coming in to see me at a particular time so that I could give them a bit of time. But sometimes that really is, you know, as we know in general practice, the same, sometimes investing a bit more time at a key moment saves you masses down the road. And complaints, that big one, is that actually saves you from a lot of complaints. If people just understand this is what's happening and actually these are the options for medicine, but they are in some circumstances running out or there might be something. And sometimes, obviously, the exciting thing is to say, Actually, I do think we needed to do this next test because the person needs it or the relatives need this to know, even if it may or may not change things. So it was that mix of what, you know, of, of bringing some expertise in medicine. And that's where I think being a GP rather than, or, or you know, fairly, hesitate to say this, but fairly experienced doctor is probably slightly easier in that situation than some specialist nurses with whom I've worked very slowly who have uh, very frequently but they have fantastic um, communication skills but they don't always have the either the knowledge or the confidence to to, to make things really clear to people or they might have it but they hesitate a bit um, and that's where some support from somebody so I've had joint conversations as well with specialist nurses and they've often been very constructive as well so it's having all those different tools that you can use in different settings which has been the great 
yeah, real privilege actually. And and and, and your experience over the years of being a GP, um, well, seeing not just elderly patients. You know, I'm trying to think here, yeah. comparing you to a to a sort of traditional geriatrician. As a GP, you're coming in with a with a huge experience of communication, wisdom, and experience from 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 seeing little patients. I mean, you know, with when you often when I see little children in surgery, I get I automatically get on my knees and, and and get down to their level. And you're doing the same. It's bringing that narrative over that that experience and and also unusually perhaps as a as a GP, we we visit patients in their own home. And you as a locum GP would have worked in lots of different practices and in many more different consulting rooms i love the uh, the idea of seeing you walking around at the hospital with a shooting stick in, in my mind's eye you're wearing a deer stalker hat as well um, could even have i've seen some of these these uh, shooting sticks with actually little, little violin to put some to put some whiskey in oh. um, not i'm not suggesting for a second eve that you that you you, you do that uh, um and 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 I, and, I've, and I know I said it in this podcast before, but in previous podcasts that I love that I love the saying that that surgeons operate, GPs communicate, and 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 this is this again I think it's a lovely thing bringing that GP element into this interface medicine GP uh, sort of new 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 role. And actually, in, in the article, if if um, if listeners want to take a look at it, there is a link there through to an article um, to the British. British Journal of General Practice because I had to Google interface medicine just before we started talking to find out a little bit more about it so there's some some additional context there so I think to finish off then Eva bringing us back again to general practice and what you sum up in in your article lastly is is how all of this extra uh, portfolio stuff you've been doing as an interface medicine GP, as a Jerry GP, and that support. Obviously, you're, you seem to be really getting in space from the um, British Geriatric Society, which and it's so lovely to hear that, of an organisation that's that is so behind you and so open to a bunch of GPs at one of their conferences getting together of then then forming a sort of a an in-house or sort of sort of subcommittee almost. Um, but in your article, you talk about actually all this has brought you back to um, an increased enjoyment in your day-to-day general practice. Yes, I, I think it has. Um, I think for me, I i mean, I, I, you know, people ask me, and, and being in secondary care, by the way, obviously I came into contact with a lot of junior doctors at various stages. And what was really interesting was, you know, some of them were thinking, should they be GPs? And I always said yes. And I strongly encouraged any of them who, who genuinely expressed some interest. And I said, why? I would encourage them to be GPs. Now, I think I've been terribly, I've been very, very fortunate in being able to pursue some interests. Interestingly, not only in care of the elderly, although that's been quite a theme, but there have been other interests. And I think it does give people, has given people scope. I think the future of general practice is, is actually, it's got, the day-to-day job has got to get a bit better because it is tough. Yeah. It is really, really tough. Um, and I think it has. So I, I've, I've used what I've done to say, look, you know, if you're enjoying general practice or if the bits you've done so far have inspired you to think about taking it further, I would strongly encourage the junior doctors to do that. I think there are issues because, you know, we are hemorrhaging GPs at various stages of their career and doing what I've done has kept me working. 
at the moment and enthusiastic about working um, probably longer. And I think that's definitely what applies to a number of other Jerry GPs, some of whom might have just left medicine that's altogether. That's interesting, yeah. Um, I think for some of the people in the Jerry GP group, they are doing, and they still feel they want to or have to do completely undifferentiated primary care. Um, it varies our, you know, our experience of doing that um, and how much we still want to be doing that. I think for me personally, I feel I've done so much of this, of the, the sort of Jerry GP bit that I do worry a little whether I'm completely up to date with the rest of it. But I guess all GPs have a, some areas of medicine that they feel slightly more comfortable with than others. That's probably true of all of us to some extent. Mm. Um, we're not wannabe geriatricians. I'm very proud of being a GP. I feel I've been very lucky to have been a GP through my working life. And, you know, I still sit and read lots of things about other bits of general practice and think, gosh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I belong to a sessional GP group as well, still. Um, and I think it has been kept some of us and that's one of the things interestingly we've just recently surveyed our Jerry GP membership and it will in due course be published um, through BGS British Geriatric Society in some form or another or possibly several forms and one of the things in there is a few of the members actually say I would have left medicine but for discovering my Jerry GP role. Interesting. I think it is very interesting and I think it's important because, you know, we need to hold on to in whatever form all the doctors that we've got because we look like we're a bit short of them. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, whatever form it is, there needs to be a wide open arms welcoming people who want to do things. And as you said in your piece there, British Geriatric Society are multi-professional, not just GPs, by the way. They have other professional groups there. They're very welcoming and their educational material I think a lot of it is very, you know, it, I mean, some of it is obviously super specialised, but some of it really is very appropriate for um, GPs. They've also published a lot of very interesting things. They've done a very recently a comprehensive geriatric assessment toolkit for primary care. Really? Oh, that's interesting. I must do that. Actually, have a look at that. They've done a, they've done a sort, of, you know, a lot of recent documents they produced are very primary care focused, and how, um, uh, you know, the, the, even the ten year plan is going to affect, um, obviously, geriatric medicine. Mm. They produced a position statement on that, but also, sort of general practice and that whole role between the two. So, it's worth looking at some of the stuff they've produced because they are certainly not insular in outlook yeah. um, and it's you know some very interesting resources that they've got on their website readily available um, and it's been just nice to be sort of you know with people doing similar but different things and thinking well, yeah I could use that or oh, picking up on some of these things so I think that's that's really positive and I have to say I look forward to going to their conferences some of which a few of which are specifically primary care focused as well so that's that's yeah. wonderful well well there's there's certainly a link to the uh, british geriatric society gp page um on this blog and um and eva it's been so great talking to you thank you again for this article and for uh, chatting to me today um so this podcast you as you if you're listening to it via the blog you can subscribe to our podcast via um apple itunes and all the other um 
um, podcast providers. Uh, if you're not already an NASGP uh, member and you're listening to this, please do sign up. Um, uh, it'd be even even lovelier if you could join as a full member, whether you're a salary GP or a locum GP. All your membership fees go on to support the work of the NASGP. And boy, do we have a lot of work to do. Uh, so thank you very much. Thank you much, Eva. And I look forward to... Uh, yeah, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. It's a lot. Bye now.